This podcast is sponsored by Wakunaga of America, makers of Kyolic Age Garlic Extract, Kyodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drain Mix, all natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well-being. Wakunaga is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Wow, 50 years providing quality supplements backed by science. You can enter to win a year supply of your favorite Wakunaga brand by heading over to their website, wakunaga.com, and enter the 50th anniversary celebration sweepstakes. That's W-A-K-U-N-A-G-A.com. Good luck. You have such a pretty little face. It's too bad your nose is too big. If only your nose was smaller, said my mother to me when I was 11. Mm. That wasn't the first time, though, that I had learned that my body wasn't right. I had learned earlier in school, I was very, very skinny, very uncoordinated and very awkward because I couldn't throw a ball. I couldn't catch a ball. I was afraid of the ball. Mm. And I just felt weak skinny, big-nosed, and weird. Now, why am I sharing this? Because we need to share our body stories. And I just read a book that is just mind-blowingly amazing. I've been coming to this way of thinking for a long time now. The book is called Reclaiming Body Trust, A Path to Healing and Liberation. It is by Hillary Canavy and Dana Sturdivant. Welcome, you two incredible women to Health Power. I am so honored to have you on. Mm. Mm. Thanks so much for having us. I would just love to know, Hillary, a little bit about you, and then Dana, tell us about yourselves, and then let's just jump into this incredible book. Yeah. Well, I'm Hillary. I'm a therapist um, by training. Um, I've been in private practice for over 20 years, and a lot of my focus has been on helping folks who present with eating disorders or disordered eating find peace. Um, and a lot of the folks that have I've worked with over the years have been non-traditional in eating disorder treatment, meaning that they're um, not necessarily thin, white, um, and um, and kind of what we picture when we think of the word eating disorders. And then I also partnered with Dana and we formed the Center for Body Trust and we uh, train healthcare professionals in how to take a much different and much more affirming approach to people's bodies. I think that's amazing. And Dana? So I sometimes say I'm the dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> we don't always have the best reputation. Right. Um, but I'm a registered dietitian. I was trained in the dominant weight paradigm and for a long time, I felt like I was promoting healthy lifestyles. And then after working with a six month weight loss intervention that, you know, worked in the short term, I'm putting worked in air quotes. Mm -hmm. um, but seeing that, you know, people's weight at two years was back up and then some, I started to become disillusioned and feel unethical. And I really felt like we could trust people's bodies to sort out the weight that I was starting to see that focusing on weight was was harmful and, and unhelpful. And um, I wanted to show up in a different way. I didn't really know what that would be like, but I just knew that I couldn't keep doing what I was doing 
Yeah, I. It, it's funny. It's interesting too because I've I've grown and and learned over the years, and and I'm also like in a place of, I want to talk about healthy living. I I had a mother who was chronically ill my whole life and was in chronic pain, and I don't want to be in pain. So I. Um, I have some structural issues and I do my PT exercises and I keep up with it because when I don't, I'm in pain, but I'm not about being a certain, I'm a size 12, 175 pounds. I'm not about being a certain size, but I do feel it's really important for me to, to do healthy behaviors, but doing it in a way that you're talking about. Sometimes I feel like, am I doing something wrong by telling people it's better to have avocado oil and cook at a high smoke point because it's better for your body or is that... I, I think the problem isn't with all that information specifically. I think the problem is that we're all growing up in diet culture. You know, we're all growing up with prescriptive stuff. And because we got introduced to that so young and because it's so pervasive in the culture that it's this very heady thing, right? It's not an embodiment. It's not It's not a choosing of which health practices or habits or processes uh, are most in alignment with me as an individual sovereign being. It's like, it's this grasping towards like, what do I do to increase my worth? What do I do to fend off death instead of what do I do to enhance living? Right. And so we find that if folks that have been very immersed in diet culture are um, a need to find a way out of that prescriptive thing before they can find alignment with health practices. So it's kind of like you have to stop and say, and really investigate that process in your life and how that's impacted you and how that's fragmented you and kept you from yourself and go through well, what we're describing as this body just practice in our book, and then come out the other side and decide what's for you and what's not for you. Because um, if not, we're just laying all this crap on top of someone who probably can't sustain health practices because they've been brought up in diet culture, which is so unsustainable and short term and harmful to people. Yeah, it is. And I'm so glad you talk about the BMI. Dana, if you can talk about why this is such BS. So the body mass index was developed by a statistician in the 19th century to look at the distribution of weight across the population of white people. And it was a formula. uh, He created a formula for men and women, but we only use the formula for men because, you know, we're all so similar. Um, (laughs) And, you know, the statistician was never he didn't intend it to be used to assess people's health. But the medical industry um, has really taken the BMI as a convenient, lazy way of assessing people's health and their well-being. And more recently, um, many people have written about the racist roots of the BMI and how the person who developed the BMI had was influenced by eugenics. And so... Um, you know, Sabrina Strings has a book, Fearing the Black Body, which talks extensively about this. Um, and, you know, diet culture is rooted in white supremacy, ultimately. This book really spoke to me. You write, the path to healing and liberation is multifaceted and nonlinear, in part because you are doing this work in a toxic atmosphere filled with anti-fat bias, racism, transphobia, ableism, homophobia, ageism, misogyny, patriarchy, and white supremacy. 
it's so overwhelming. Like when I was reading, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's so many things that we have to overcome and we have to do the work. You know, if you're a white person, you have to look at your racism and yeah. you can say, well, I'm not racist. It's like, well, we, we're in, we're, you're in this society. There, there's racism. We need to look at it. We have to look at white supremacy, transphobia, fat bias. And the thing is, if, if you do that work and you look at it, it's going to be easier I think to do the body trust work rather than just, just being like, well, I, yeah. Okay. So I'm a cis white woman and I don't like diet culture anymore, but that's not enough. Like how does it affect other people? If you can speak to that, Hillary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, this isn't about us as individuals as it is about creating a society where all bodies are welcome and um, have access to what they need and that we're really um, acknowledging and addressing that there is a body hierarchy and that we all have a place on it. Um, and our, our privilege, um, our access and what we choose to do with our own bodies has an impact on supporting an entire system that really could topple if we learned how to divest from it. Oh, God, that would be so incredible. And by the way, I did, my mom did push me to get my nose fixed at 16. It turned out crooked. <laughs> so I ended up with my, I remember when my they took the bandages off. And my mother was so excited about this. And we go to the doctor and it's like really swollen. So it looks bigger than it originally did. And it's crooked. And my mom's face just fell. Oh. And I was so angry. I knew I was not attractive, stereotypically. So I thought, well, maybe if I do this, it'll make things better. And it didn't. It just made things worse. But I have this tendency of like, oh, this is oh, my face is starting. Should I do this? Should I do that? And I'm working mm -hmm. really hard to undo. I'm 55. Today is my birthday. Um, when we're recording this. Thank you. And the other day, my daughter's like, oh, my God, mom, you have so much gray hair in the back. I'm like, that's cool. She's like, are you going to color it? I'm like, no. And that's where I'm at right now. And the more I read your book, the more I'm like, F you, I'm not, I, I don't color my hair anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but it's just sort of going to that of how it kind of, it, it kind of screws you up, especially coming from your parent. And I have so many friends mm -hmm. who were put on diets at six and seven and eight and nine and, and what it does to them. Yeah. I feel like I'm climbing this mountain of trying to get out of this crap. And I know I'm still in it, but I'm work, but you've given me hope. Right. And I'm working on the, the other stuff, like looking at fat phobia and ageism and racism. and everything. I've been doing that, but for myself, I'm still like, Oh God, what is this like weird line in my face? Like, damn it. It's so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the book, the first section, we talk about the rupture yeah, and understanding how we lost trust with our bodies, and and we lean on Bobby Harrow's cycle of socialization in our work to really, which is something we learned in our own anti-racism work, is the ways we've been socialized and indoctrinated into these really harmful ways of thinking about bodies and the, these hierarchies that are created by by in our society, often by white men. Um, and Sonia Renee Taylor calls it body terrorism. And when we're divesting, we're really digging the roots out of these this toxic soil. We're pulling out these invasive species and rooting back to, into something that's so much more nourishing um, of our entire well-being and our entire selves. And because this work is so countercultural and most of us don't even see our conditioning and our socialization, it takes time to really pull those roots out. And part of what we're doing is divesting from beauty 
and understanding, you know, that there used to be a fee, like a, a, a fine for being ugly. And there's a reason why we are so invested in it. Um, and, and when we develop a, a, a stronger analysis around what's come between us and being at home in our bodies, it becomes harder to participate and engage in these restrictive eating plans or programs that tell you that they know how to fix it. Um, you know, and beauty is one that many of us get really hooked in. And there's different different ways of thinking about beauty. You know, some people say, fuck beauty. I don't know if I can say an F word. I can yeah, say screw fine. beauty right. if you want. <laughs> but, you know, some people are like, you know, fuck beauty. Beauty's harmful. It's just white supremacist um, shit. And then other right. people, you know, our, our friend Reagan Chastain is like perceiving beauty as a skill set. Like what children see as beautiful is not what their parents see as beautiful. Yeah, I love that in the book. And that conditioning of what we see as beautiful, um, you know, we've kind of been given a pair of glasses to view the world through. And it's almost like divesting is like we're taking off the glasses so we can we can start to see more clearly. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. My um, my mother died when I was in my 20s from ovarian cancer and. I never brought up my nose and how disappointed I was too. And somehow it came up and she was like, like here she is like practically, I mean, literally dying. She's like, sits up. She's like, oh my God, do you want your father and I to pay for you to get it like straightened? And I said, no. So when she died, I didn't get it all the way fixed. I just got, I just got the front a little, it's still crooked, just a little straightened out. Cause I kind of felt like I'm taking that back. People might think, oh my God, that's so crazy. Your mom's dying. Why wouldn't you make her happy? It's like, because that was a really screwed up. And I know she was coming from a place of you're already skinny and awkward and I want to make your life easier. But that's the problem. These generations before us who passed down all this crap, right? We have to unlearn it all. It's really hard. We do, you know, but, and, but we, we also see that this could change in a generation or two. If we, you know, I think particularly as parents, it's a skill set to start to distinguish between like, what's my anxiety and what's the actual problem. Right. And most of it is our anxiety as parents. It is for me as a parent Um, to say we want something different. And so we're going to bravely hold space for something different to emerge here, even though it makes me anxious as hell. So you've got the rupture, the reckoning, the reclamation. Those are the the path to healing. And what's so great about is we've talked about the rupture and we're going to, I would love to have you back because this is not enough time. I want to get into the reckoning and also the reclamation because as hard as this work is, you give us a path to really do it. Like I can go back. If I'm feeling like I don't like this weird line in my chin, should I get filler? I can go look, I can reread certain parts of the book and be like, okay, this is what, oh, I can do this practice. I can do this practice. I mean, I have them all written down. It's not something you're just going to read once. It's something that you're going to keep going back and keep going back Mm -hmm. because we've been so fucking indoctrinated. It doesn't just boom, right? Disappear overnight. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. And one of the hardest pieces about this that we notice is that folks really struggle to include themselves, right? They they want body trust for everybody else, but really struggle to include themselves. And the revolution is also in including yourselves. Like we need to fully divest. Yeah. That is the community care piece. We've all divest. All right. Tell us all the places we can get your incredible, incredible book. Again, Reclaiming Body Trust, A Path to Healing and Liberation. 
You can find us on centerforbodytrust.com. We have the book there. It's, the book is available on pretty much all bookstores, as far as we know, or most bookstores. Um, and we're on Instagram and Facebook as Center for Body Trust and Twitter. We don't have as strong of a presence on Twitter, but you can find us at Body Trust Center. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. And we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.